This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of The Carbon Crew with Phil. That's right, at Chelsea Youth, jumping in like he does. This time, international break version of Phil. How's it going? Flip-flops and beach towel? I mean, where are you at, Phil? What's going on? Oh, I couldn't be further from it. It's, it's <laughs> manic. Uh, regardless, it, it's I love youth football and I love Chelsea, but having the international break away from international uh, the club youth football is quite useful right now. Um but there's still plenty to talk about. Um, we've decided to open it up to the listeners and uh, the internet at large. I've uh, got plenty of questions in our mailbag today. Some really, really intriguing, interesting topics that I'd like to get into. Look, you got to be careful, right? When you open it up to the internet, you never know what you're going to get. So uh, with, thankfully, we got a bag of goodies here, uh, which we're excited about. So again, if you want to support the pod, you want to get involved, Follow us on social media. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're get, looking to break 30K subscribers there. Uh, but if you really want to get things in, you got to get into our Discord. That's right. Reach out to us if you want to get involved. Awesome Chelsea community there. Uh, we read all of those messages, Twitter, Instagram. It's a little tougher, but we did our best uh, on this one. So, Phil, football connoisseur, Karen, who we just did an episode with talking about George Petrovich. Uh, before he came over, great follow for Chelsea fans out there if you're looking for. He's got a very, I would say, common question that is asked mainly in the summer months, right, when the transfer window's open. But he said he would love to know what goes into picking a quote-unquote good loan for a prospect. Or as you might say in inverted commas, a good loan how do you think about when is the right time to head out? Is it just level plus game time? Does the coach matter, a.k.a. Billy G to Norwich? Proximity to the club? Psychosocial development? Am I overthinking this? Certainly not overthinking it. There is all of that and and such a lot more that will go into picking a loan for a player. And you say picking a good loan. Everyone goes into the process wanting to pick a good loan for the player. You want to continue the upward trend in their development. And it, it has so many factors. I mean, it will start relatively internally. In terms of when, you can look at minutes played, games experience, physical development, all of those different things. I, For a while, I looked into it with a, a bit of a threshold of if the player had reached 100 competitive appearances across PL2, under-19 Champions League and under-18s. And that could typically be over two and a half to five years, depending on how involved they were. Some players hit it really quickly, some wouldn't. And by the time you've hit, hit 100 games, whether you're 19, 20 or 21 at PL2 level, you've basically exhausted your development options at that level and should really be considering going out on loan. But some the, more recently, players have been going out earlier than that. And whether that's a commentary on the suitability of youth football versus exposure in the senior game or not, yeah, your mileage may vary and I certainly think clubs outside of Chelsea in particular have been far too anxious to get players out on loan ahead of schedule they, when they really shouldn't. Uh, anecdotally speaking, Aston Villa won the Youth Cup a few years ago and in immediate response they loaned out the majority of that team that won the Youth Cup and by mid-season most of them have been recalled. It just wasn't in the, right, in, in, in the best interest of each player and it was almost just buying into a narrative that these players are, are done with youth football now. The PL2 has plenty to offer for players who, who hang around. Someone like Josh Brooking is 21 and playing in PL2 this season, first half at least, for the right reasons. But 
you'll go into it and treat each player individually. So it's kind of run by a combination of Carlo Cudicini and, and, and Neil Barth and his team. Neil, obviously, now in the role of Director of Football Development and Operations, oversees the sort of bigger picture and the expected pathways, what each age group wants to look like in age profile and, and talent profile. And if, for example, you want your under-21s to be more of an under-19s and you're expecting your 19, 20, 21-year-olds to be out on loan or a second loan or a third loan, Cudicini runs the the loan operation that was previously under the auspices of Eddie Newton for such a long time. It's a whittled-down department these days in the same way that we don't have a 40-strong loan army. It's more of a a 20-strong now um, with FIFA restrictions and various things coming in. And... It kind of spins off from there. You get into the summer window and anticipating the winter window and thinking, okay, these these players have played plenty of football at this level, or they've they're ready for a bigger challenge. They look too good for this level, even if they've had a season or half a season exposure at PL two. And then you start to consider where they're going. Someone like Cesare Casadei only had one season in the PL two, having played to a relatively equivalent standard for Inter in Serie A. So. Excuse me, it wasn't even a full season in PL2. He went to Reading halfway through. His physical development and his productivity in PL2 marked him out as somebody who was ready to go. And then you start to consider where. He went to Reading, so we speak to geographical proximity. For somebody who was relatively new in a new country, Reading offered the opportunity to be close by to Cobham. Generally speaking, it's probably less than an hour by road uh, on most days. Um means he didn't have to immediately up sticks and move halfway up the country for example to go and settle like he's at Leicester now Leicester is somewhere where you can probably commute to Cobham if you really really must but you don't want to so he'll move to Leicester for this season but the intermittent the first move you had to Reading gave him that opportunity to stay local to to stay settled and, and acclimate to, to, to a new country while acclimating to a new club on loan Something like that happens in the coach reference with Gilmore to Norwich. That sometimes happens as well. You'll find that Chelsea will, especially with the EFL, they'll return to managers who they've entrusted with the development of their young players time and again, whether they've moved around clubs or not, because they know that they're going to get a good education. They're going to be used properly. They're going to be playing the right style of football. All of these different things go into it. And it's a pretty rambly answer um, because various things just come to me as I'm thinking about them. But you, you can you can throw in agents and 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 how much of a role they'll play in it. A good agent will already have an idea of the sort of club and the sort of standard of football that is available. It will start exploring connections and availability. They'll be able to alert the club to opportunities that might arise uh, and openings that are clubs that might not have previously existed. Um, and some of them equally will push for moves that aren't. At the, right, at the right time for the player or for the club. Although they think it is. it's you, you go into it with the best of intentions, but we've seen this is why loan moves fail at Chelsea and elsewhere because one party involved, whether it's the club, the agent or the player or their family, think that they're ready for a move that they're not necessarily ready for. So no, Kieran, absolutely not overthinking it. There's There's so much that goes into this and it's why every club now pretty much at the top level has a dedicated pathways manager or a loan manager or a department that looks after this stuff because it's not something that can just be assumed as an additional responsibility by a head of youth development or a sporting director because it's just such a huge operation and then 
that's that's for the boring field players. Us goalkeepers have to be taken care of a little bit differently, don't they, Phil? And Chelsea have shown that they definitely take a different approach uh, when it comes to goalkeepers just because the development is clearly, clearly different. Oh, it is. This goes back more than five years now. I think Nathan Baxter was probably the trailblazer in terms of the academy. He went on loan to step uh, the English seventh tier as a 17-year-old. Um, and it's been followed suit by various goalies since at various different levels. Uh, like Jamie Cumming went out and did it. Lucas Bergstrom's been out. Um, Max Merrick went last season at 17. Ted Kurd's out this year at 17. And, and they go out and play at levels that Chelsea wouldn't ordinarily loan outfielders to because development football isn't conducive to rounding out the, the, the expectations of a goalkeeper at senior level. And that's from physical play. That's simple stuff. Academy football, there's not a lot of crossing into the box by comparison to senior football at various levels. And we're not talking about Premier League level here. You're trying to develop a player who can play and forge a professional career at a high standard. It not, might not be in England, it might not be in the top flight, but they're going to enjoy a long and distinguished career. And so you need to prepare them for everything. Academy football doesn't provide enough crosses. It doesn't provide long kicking out from the goal 20, 30, 40 times a game. You need to go out as a goalkeeper and encounter the physical demands of the position probably earlier than a lot of people think. Some And 17 may or may not be the right opportunity, but in both cases, American Curd um, join part-time clubs, which means that they'll spend half the week training at Cobham with their age group or, or whoever else. Both have trained with the men's first team at times this season. And then in match day minus one, match day minus two, they'll join up with their teams. Curd's at Hashtag United and Max Merrick was at... Um, club who's Hanwell Town sorry very local to me and I couldn't draw their name Hanwell Town uh, last season uh, again both close by close enough by to 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 not have two up sticks and relocate especially at such a young age but they get the best of both worlds they get to continue to train in a high level elite environment at Chelsea but go out and play senior men's football um, uh, and, and, and make progress that they wouldn't ordinarily have made at Cobham so Merrick's a decent case study in that that he was one of three goalkeepers in his scholar intake with Curd and with Luke Campbell and you get 28 games in a season maybe 30 if you have a decent cut run that's not a lot of game time to go around for three goalies in an age group plus budding under 16s or players who step up and Curd being the established England international who'd been playing youth team football since he was 15 at the inside track and Campbell and Merrick are then vying for enough opportunities to play against each other so one of them goes out Merrick goes out and instead of just playing 10 games here and there at under 18 level he's gone and played at Hanwell Town in senior football comes back to play development squad minutes uh, in rotation with Eddie Beach this season and looks better much much better for it and you can expect to see that continue for a while to come because I think the, the results have, have, have justified themselves. Getting a goalkeeper into the men's first team at Chelsea is still the dream. It hasn't happened because it, we've spoken about this on this podcast a few times. It's really hard to get one player into one singular position, whereas outfielders can be versatile. They can move around the formation. You can uh, play three, four, five different squad roles. Goalies are goalies. And their peak comes a little bit later unless they're absolute once in a generation type players but 
you look at the, the 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 goalies that have come through at Chelsea in recent years, and they've all been able to carve out decent careers for themselves. Look, with goalkeepers, you, there's nothing better than in-game minutes, as you talk about for these youngsters. And then you know, uh, once you get to the professional level, either you play or you don't. It's not like you can come on for the last 30 minutes and uh, get some minutes and work your way into the team. It is very much, uh, I hate to say it this way, but it's an injury um, opportunity position. You look at Aaron Ramsdale, right? Fighting for top three in England, fighting for that number one shirt. They brought in David Raya. Now he's on the bench. No reason for that and nothing that he did wrong other than he wasn't preferred He's not getting in unless he goes on loan or something different. It's just, it's the nature of the position, which is super goofy. So, um, awesome. That was a great way to kick this one off. We're going to take an ad break. When we get back, though, someone asked you about Neil Bath and total world domination. I'm excited for this one. So, thank the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right. As treated, Phil, Andrew Turner reached out and said, how would you maximize the impact Neil Bath could have at all levels of the club without losing the peerless advantage his leadership offers the academy? Now, look, you are well-established as a Neil Bath fan. I would like to consider, consider myself a member of your club. How much is too much responsibility for Neil Bath when he's proven that he is invaluable at an academy level? It's, it's a really interesting question that I've given quite a bit of thought to and I keep coming back to something that he'll tell you himself that it's not about one person. The academy is a cast of hundreds and the trust and delegation that you place in people to do their jobs to a high level is the most important thing. You see the structure and the hierarchy and the organisation that's been built in the academy that has churned out international footballers, international coaches international players every single role within that academy building on and off the pitch behind the scenes front of office anything has produced elite level performers and that's the sort of thing you'd like to spread across the whole club so over the last 18 months two years he's no longer head of youth development He's Director of Youth Development and Operations, which is a promotion. And uh, you get to look at things with a wider lens, a greater club, whole club remit. And that includes the women's team. That includes the girls' academy. It's trying to join the dots to make it one club in more of a way than it, it currently is. And that's not to suggest that the club isn't one club right now. It's how can we kick on and go again? In And that's been the mantra from from Bath and, and and company for a long, long time now. It's making sure that you don't rest on your laurels and you always strive for the next, the ver- the next and the next and the next after that. And that's why the Academy's been so successful. So in the new role, we've, we've seen and heard reports that he's going to be focusing on the training ground redevelopment, for example. And there's arguably nobody better placed to to oversee that, not least because the turnover in staff over the couple of years of the Bowling Clear Lake Consortium ownership means that very few people are actually familiar with the intricacies of the site and the planning permission and the development plans and things that have gone before them. And, and you have that deep historic knowledge of, of Chelsea 
And that's the sort of thing you want to permeate throughout the club. I don't necessarily think you'd like to see him, for example, become director of football in the same way that Winston Stanley and Stewart are co-directors of football or sporting directors, whatever title you want to give them. Because it's too... It's too siloed, it's too confined to one thing. I think you want this sort of thing to influence every possible area of the club in the same way that 20 years of academy leadership has been able to do. We hear all the time about academy players crossing the road from the academy building to the men's first team building and it being symbolic of a journey. But we also hear the downside of that sometimes, that they are two distinct entities under certain managers, under certain conditions where the academy hasn't perhaps been as valued. And you want that to be less of a thing as you move forward. You want it to be collaborative. You want it to be engaging. You want everybody to recognise the value of the academy, not just on a day-to-day basis, but when you're considering making a new signing, bringing in options from outside, to have a meaningful voice at the table and somebody says, well, hold on a minute, we have these players in-house. We need to look at those first. That's my preference. It's always been my preference. Look at what you've got inside before. If you have to go out and sign somebody, then do it and make sure that they're of elite quality to come in and make and go to the top of the squad so that the bottom seven or eight players of a 25-player squad become stronger by default. It's not like you're trying to sign a 20th player for the squad. You're trying to sign one through five so the 15 through 20 become 20 through 25 that's that's the sort of thing you want you you want to make sure that the academy is front and center in the decision making process you make every single day in recruitment in big picture planning all of those things well like you said i mean there's there's a lot that he's cultivated and fostered within the academy and I know he says it doesn't take one person, but you need you do need one person to lead it, right? You do need one person to set the standards, to set the direction, and he's done a great job at that. So uh, I love that he's been very quickly promoted under the new ownership group and into being able to have the opportunity to influence more. And to your point, the one club model, uh, he'll be integral to that, which is is exciting. Seb. Good old buddy of the pod here. Seb C says, Samto Boniface, how is he seen or rated in that left side area where Chelsea often uh, would bring in external options like one Ian Matson and Juan Castillo? Did he play other positions previously? Would, should, or could he be about to? As Cobham usually puts players in various positions for outfielders, um, which you touched on earlier. So, uh, yeah, what, how, I don't know. Boniface. <laughs> yeah, we can get into this. It's the first of a few questions from Seb. We uh, we watched the Tottenham-Chelsea PL2 game together up at Stevenage the other week, so a few of these thoughts were buzzing around and the players we're going to talk about were quite influential in that game. Somto is, is coming along very, very nicely um, in terms of how he's seen. He's an England youth international. He's a Chelsea academy graduate who's 17 to turn 18 this season and who's already playing meaningful under 21 minutes so I'd say that he's seen pretty highly there and yeah Chelsea have often bought external options through there in Martin or Castillo or Zach Sturge or Dylan Williams um, or indeed moved players like Lewis Hall and Harvey Vale into that position from other positions so it has at times been a bit of a problem Uh, they've lost one or two players Sam Arling Jr um, went to Juventus at 16 he might have gone through 
you know, he was playing under 18s as a under 16 so yeah they they had some problems there and had Boniface been at this level at this age now but they might not have signed Sturge and Williams for example because this is a player who is proving his ability at a high level I think it was his emergence that allowed them to move forward and loan Sturge to Peterborough for example uh, other positions, it's interesting with a lot of the left fullbacks. So Martin can play central. Castillo started as a number eight. Hall and Vale we've spoken about. Uh, Williams, who we'll talk about a bit later, can play all over the place. Somto's basically just been on the left for as long as I've seen him play anyway. And that's as a left back in a four or as a wing back in a three-four-three. Three. Play him a bit further forward as a more advanced left midfield, left wing option. Uh, he's got a pretty decent finish on him. Uh, he scored a really good goal in that Tottenham game. He scored a great goal away to Fulham last season. But it's one of those players that, because of his particular skill set, his burst of acceleration, his ability to attack space, you like him more as a left-back or a wing-back to come from deep, to have space to operate in, to move off the ball and to, and to crash the far post rather than to push him further forward and ask him to operate 1v1 with tight, intricate spaces. It's, it's that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, just big picture. He's doing really well. And I'd expect him to get more and more under 21 minutes throughout the season. Um, especially when if someone like Williams also goes on loan in January, then it will be his entire spot on the left side to lock down. But he's got he's got a lot going for him. I just things keep coming to mind. He's got a couple of right footed assists this season as well, which is really in, another string to the bow. You don't you see it more from right backs who can cross with the left, but you don't necessarily see left backs who can cross with the right a lot. And he's he's done it a few times this season. Um, keep an eye on him. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly he's looking up to Noni Matawake with the uh, the thick headband as well. It seems to be his style. Um, but that is great to great to hear and see, especially on the left side. Um, I was just kind of checking out his Instagram. He seems to be really enjoying, um, you know, playing his football. Seems to be going through growth spurts as well. Like, who knows? That's, that's one of the things that really struck me about him at some point last season, that he's taller than you think and is developing that adult frame to go with it he's a bit broader than you think he's got long reach with the arms for example to hold people off i think it's easy to think of fullbacks uh, as a certain type physically reese james notwithstanding um but yeah santos he's his physical development it catches you by surprise and it's one of those things that you see him on screen and just looks like your average fullback and you see him in person and you realize there's there's he's there's a bit there's height to him for sure yeah this is what's going on with these these players right they are going through a lot of physical changes uh as they go in so you might go from left back to left center back expose them to different positions potentially a destroyer in the middle like you just never know um through this period which is interesting uh seb also asked about uh the fact that it's tough to find a defense screener type for for the academies as opposed to passers. So he's asking if Sam Rakasaki um, can stand out uh, from the good, but obviously different from Colquitt and and Bait, etc. Um, obviously, he wants to to check on Golding and Dyer's midfield roles with their evolution as well. Essentially, the midfield here. Like maybe you want to touch on the destroyer or the dis the screener role and if it does or doesn't exist within side Cobham um, first because I think that's probably good to understand how they really look to play within these um, these academy teams yeah the screener role has to exist in any team 
uh, during the out of possession phase because without it your midfield is like a sieve and your defence will become overwhelmed obviously and it, it's quite hard for supposedly dominant academies like Chelsea and like Manchester City, Arsenal, Tottenham, whoever to develop those sort of players if they dominate possession on a regular basis and that's why we can talk about a Charlie Colker or a Lewis Bate from generations gone past where Chelsea would enjoy maybe 70% of the ball and their primary responsibility would be to be creative with it sometimes at the expense of defensive development and you don't want to go all the way to the other end of the scale and play 20% possession defend, defend, defend and produce uh, and just demand that all of the players get exposed to that some clubs will do it deliberately and put their players in a position to sink or swim uh, and it's never been Chelsea's remit and Raksaki is an interesting one because he isn't your archetypal schema possession heavy orchestrator He's he does a little bit of everything he couldn't be more different from his brother either his brother's at Crystal Palace he's a left footed uh, creative winger who's had a bit of Premier League football this year after some uh, an impressive loan spell at Charleston and he was at Chelsea for 10 years and left under 16 and he's he's a bit, he's lanky he uses the ball well he he understands how to operate in space when he doesn't have the ball he's, he's, he's not had as much football over his two years as a scholar as you might have liked there's a couple of injury absences and Chelsea didn't go particularly far in the cups to allow extra game time for example um, but he understands what he's doing and I think they all do to varying degrees and then it's about we can go back to Kieran's question about a loan if you're sending that sort of player out on a loan at the right time what are you asking them to become? Are you going to ask them to be the destroyer? Are you going to ask them to be the box-to-box -box eight? Or are you going to want them to be the orchestrator? And in, in Colquitt's case, for example, it wasn't... You you can easily put him as a, a deep six in academy football and ask him to spread the ball around from side to side and play incisive passes. But his natural game was never to defend and, and never to screen. And so subsequently, when he's moved on from Chelsea and played in Sweden and throughout the EFL, he's used further up the pitch because that defensive side of the game didn't round out. And it's, it's certainly a challenge for academy coaches to to work through and to identify the different player profiles. Um, Loftus-Cheek is another really good example. He played quite a lot deeper in his days, 14, 15, 16, 17, and often look good and I'll draw some comparisons with Michael Golding there in a second because he's part of the same uh, question and then obviously Loftus-Cheek is a tantalising prospect attacking as well he moves with such fluidity yeah, and such grace with such power and productivity at the end of it that we even heard Antonio Conte talking about playing him as a centre forward at times and then fast forward to the back end of last season and the end of Loftus-Cheek's Chelsea career he was playing again more as a as a six or a double six with the game in front of him with space in front of him where he can show off the fact that he can screen and defend and be a reliable presence in all phases of play and that's the sort of thing I'm looking for from Michael Golding in a way um, in that game against Tottenham he was part of a midfield two with Raksaki and they both demonstrated that same capacity to to screen and to be defensively responsible but then also impact the game in attack and Golding is probably more of an 8 or 10 in terms of the way he's used 
in youth football. He's got a goal in him. He's got more than a few assists in him. And he's got this, I wouldn't say he's lost his cheap build by any means, but he has the potential to, based on his older brother James Oxford, who's a centre-back, having very similar build to Ruben. And if that is the case in the next two years and he does develop like that, then you're looking to the whole skill set. You're not trying to put a player in a position and ask them to fulfil the parameters of a number 10. You're saying, right, this is what you're good at. This is how we're going to maximise your ability on the pitch. And for someone like Golding, I think allowing them to work in that 80 yards between the two penalty boxes and understand that in the defensive phase they're not going to let you down but then in transition and in build up and in attack you've got the, the rounded profile to do so um, the complete other end of the scale physically is Kiara Dyer, who is not yet 17 but is playing regular under 21 football very small, very lightweight, but very, very good, as a lot of people would have seen. Again, being used as a deep playmaker, somebody who is somewhat un-English, although I don't like using that now because a lot of young English players are so-called un-English, and we're talking about archetypes from a decade ago where this type of player wasn't quite as prominent as it is now. He, he's very comfortable playing at a, a slower pace for example and then speeding it up and then slowing it down speeding it up he'll happily wait on the ball draw the pressure in evade the pressure and go having taken one or two players out of the game very relaxed in possession likes to have a lot of the ball likes to likes to keep things going um, and I think that suits him right now when he's been used further forward as a eight or especially as a 10 I think you remove some of these impactful uh, traits from from the game right now how he develops we'll wait and see his dad Lloyd played uh, for Leicester and Burton and a few other clubs through for a few hundred games in his career he was a winger wasn't particularly big so you don't think Lloyd, uh, the Keanu is going to develop into a, a tremendous physical specimen but much like Billy Gilmore for example you then work with what you've got understand what your limitations are and how you overcome them and I think Dyer and Gilmore isn't a perfect comparison, but it's that sort of, this is the player that you can be. You get a lot of, get them a lot of the ball, find the pockets of space, give them defensive response, uh, security with a teammate or two alongside them, accentuate the positives, hide the negatives as best you can. And, and in all three cases here, Raksaki, Golding and Dyer, they are quality performers who are at a high-level academy in, in Golding. And in all three cases, they've represented England with distinction at youth age groups. Um, and it's just fascinating to watch them play because from game to game, they're going to be asked to do different things, both from a developmental perspective and from a tactical perspective. And then you see where they end up. They'll go on loan and that journey continues. But it'll be more refined when they go on loan. They might only ask, be asked to do one or two of those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, a lot in there, obviously... Appreciate you kind of covering a lot of them. Um, I'm, we're going to take our last break when we get back. Uh, I've, I've kind of been holding off on this, and I'm excited. Alex Matos, we've talked about him previously. I'll, more has happened since then, so we're going to touch him right on the other side of this. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, Phil, Alex Matos, the world wants to know. 
What is his future? He's been training with the squad. Obviously, he's been in a bunch of the match day squads recently. Got some minutes against Fulham. Uh, this seems to be the next big hot name coming through the academy. Signed him from Norwich. Norwich. Um, what is your take on on Alex and kind of how should we understand him as uh, a player? Yeah, so he came in as a trialist last springtime at the end of his uh, Norwich contract. And as Seb asked in the question, he was an attacker across the front at Norwich, um, but is now a central midfielder at Chelsea in the Kante style of or profile of midfielder. And, and how did that come about? And it's, 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 it's an intriguing one. I can't claim to be an expert on what happened at Norwich. Uh, he signed a professional contract very much as an attacker and was used as an attacker in that way until probably a year ago where maybe the productivity isn't there. It's hard to be productive in uh, Norwich under 18 team in particular. They are a, a good academy and a strong academy who produce good players. They've got John Rowe in their first team right now who's doing wonderful things for them. But sometimes their under 18s are overmatched in a way that doesn't isn't so favourable to forward players. But more than that, you start to look at the skill set of the player as we spoke about with the midfielders just now. And in in Matos's case, if if the the cutting edge and the the, the game changing difference making ability isn't there as a forward as your 18 then it's going to be hard to scale that up to higher levels. You need something that sets you apart as a forward at youth level to be able to carry into the senior game. And obviously, as things have gone on, you've seen that he has quite the skill set as a midfielder. He, he When he signed his pro contract at Norwich, he described his, his pace as one of his strengths. And while that's... You, you put that image in your head and you think of a dynamic, quick forward in the vein of, say, a Ronnie Stutter at Chelsea. But what we've seen from him as a midfielder is he can use that pace combined with strong, strong mental traits of anticipation, of understanding of spacing and and understanding the, the defensive side of the game to then be able to cover ground in a Kante-esque way. Um, he's tenacious, he's strong, He's sensible, he's smart, uses the ball smartly. And while he hasn't necessarily shown it yet, when you get into the attacking areas, he's still got six, seven, eight years of, of experience through the youth development phase to be to be impactful. There was a goal that Jimmy J. Morgan scored, uh, I forget the opponent now, earlier in the season where Matos carried the charge all the way down the right from ostensibly a right wing back starting position. Uh, down into the right wing, into the box. And then suddenly you start to see the Matos, the forward. And and that's really interesting as, as you go on. Players change positions a lot throughout the youth development and you f they find their calling the closer they get to their professional career. And it might be that moving into midfield has not just saved Matos's career, but given him endless possibilities because within a couple of months of joining Chelsea, he's made a senior debut and is deserving for more opportunities in the Premier League and beyond and if you'd have put that to him a year ago at Norwich it might have seemed with all due respect fanciful 
but it, it's it's more about this, this. We've talked about it so many times. Ask what a player can do and find ways for them to do it. Don't try to shoehorn players into this preconceived idea of oh we play four four three with a box to box eight and a deep line playmaker and inverted wingers and if you don't fit into that then well good luck to you. Work with the individual player work with their unique abilities find ways to integrate them into your setup and you can reap the rewards the players have to put in the work as well but the talent's there he wouldn't have got the opportunity at Norwich in the first place Luton before that and Chelsea if there wasn't something to work with and we're starting to see perhaps what he was meant to be all along well I'm excited to see uh like to go from trialist to making a Premier League debut wild in the best way possible uh, appreciate all the in-depth stuff you've done, Phil. We're going to speed up these, make them a little bit quicker of an answer so we can get through the end because, uh, well, those are the big ones. Carefree Youth, a good friend, uh, mutual friend, uh, I would say, says, which loanee would you recall and find a better loan? I think you've got a couple of, I think you have one obvious answer and maybe one less obvious. How about that? Yeah, the obvious one is Andre Santos, who hasn't played at Nottingham Forest so far. Uh, consequence of signing... Uh, three quarters of the way through the window and then Forrest doing what Forrest do on deadline day and signing 73,000 players, most of them are in his position. I think people need to dial it back with Santos a little bit, coming from essentially Serie B in Brazil with a little bit of Serie A experience there before coming to England to suggest he was ready for Premier League football or regular Premier League football might have been a step too far. But yeah, he needs to play more than he does at Forest. You can be a little bit more sensible with the next approach. And yeah, for some, Porto may have been in for him. Other clubs in, in Central Europe could have been in for him. It's not working at Forest, So he'll revisit that in January and get him to play the minutes he needs to play. Good player, not necessarily ready for Premier League football. And there's nothing wrong with that right now. Um, everyone's on their own journey. The other ones, Charlie Webster hasn't played perhaps as much as you'd like at Heron Vane. Um, but we can see what happens between now and Christmas because it does take a little while to to find your feet in a different league, in a different setting. He scored um, against Go Ahead and then got sent off for a ridiculous tackle like moments later and that put him in a three-game suspension. It's hard enough when you're trying to find minutes as a young lonely trying to establish yourself and then get suspended. I, I don't have a problem with him staying there if the minutes are going to come in the second half of the year, but if it doesn't look likely, then you can tear it up and reset. All right. Uh, Jacob asks, uh, how's Dylan Williams doing? He came from Derby, right? Like uh, did, in yeah. January. Uh, it says, how's he doing? Um, how are the minutes? How is he How's he holding up? He's really good. Probably one of the most reliable and consistent performers for the dev squad and a regular captain when Gilchrist isn't in the team. Normally plays as the left centre back in a three, but he doesn't really stick to that. He kind of has a free role to do whatever he likes. He'll overlap on the left. Um, he'll drive through the middle. He'll go meandering off and safe in the knowledge that somebody else will cover in for him. He's really influential. He scored goals. He makes goals. He's a good leader. Um, yeah, really excited by him. I love it. Um, Joey, a boy Intel, says, which of the U23 do you see entering the main team soon? We'll leave it there. Uh, it'll be the guys who've been on the bench recently. Matos, David Washington, Ronnie Sutter, Alfie Gilchrist. They're the four that Pochettino clearly favors based on the fact they've made the Premier League bench. Uh, you could throw Jimmy J. Morgan in for his consistent dev squad form. He might be on the cusp, but if Sutter and Washington are already in there, then it's just going to be whichever forward is in form at the time. And I'd like to throw Williams in. If Williams is going to go on loan in January, which I think he's more than ready for, if, if an opportunity comes up between now 
and the January window with Ben Chilwell out injured. There's there's a left back in the development squad who's probably as deserving as anyone else. Sean uh, says Harvey Vale seems to be playing left back. Is that good? Bad? How's that going for Harvey? Well, the fact he's playing is good. The fact he's playing left back probably isn't ideal for for me at least. Probably not for him. Although he'll take it. I think that you end up at Bristol Rovers because the championship teams that you were hoping to go on loan to were looking at you to play left back or left wing back and you want to play as attacking midfielder because as we've seen with him dev squads and 18 seasons past fantastic performer in those roles he even played to a decent standard under thomas tuchel in half a dozen senior substitute appearances or a debut at brentford he can play in the forward line if bristol rovers aren't finding a room for him there then that's unfortunate right now and you could consider trying to change that in january um, but he seems to be doing all right because he's a good player and he's played good at left back for, for Chelsea and for England. I, I Part of me doesn't want it to perpetuate in the same way that it has for Lewis Hall, but in the same case, if that is going to be your position and it's clearly worked out very well for Lewis, then take the ball and run with it because it's given Lewis a Premier League career at Chelsea and unfortunately now at Newcastle. Um, yes, they want to play central midfield and attacking midfield, but if left back is where you're meant to be like we were talking with Matos if central midfield is your calling if left back is your calling and that's going to make you your, make make your name then then go for it all right uh Voff says tell us more about some of the schoolboys that might be breaking through this season to u18 or the 21 essentially the dev squad or the 18s yeah we keep it a bit light for the under 16s for obvious reasons we can uh, shim mayoka has played up for years already and he's got six goals in his last eight games for club and countries um, only very recently turned 16 so he'll be a scholar next summer uh, he's a regular with the 18s already uh, Ryan McAdoo, McAdoo um, made his debut at Brighton uh, there'll be more to follow the under 16s just won the Premier League national tournament for the second time in three years uh, and they did so comprehensively they, they they beat Man City in the semi-final they beat Fulham in the final two really good academies they beat Stoke in the quarterfinals and that's a Stoke team that were national finalists at their age group last season so it was a, a bit of a gauntlet run to the final they did pretty well um, there'll be more to follow but not necessarily first half of the year as we've spoken plenty of times before their time will come as as we get to the back end of the season as they start to round out their under 16 season and prepare to be scholars next time around all right and we saved a fan favorite for the last ollie glanville says what's our running double barrel quota across all age groups in the current intake if you don't know you need to know it's a bit of a chelsea thing isn't it phil it is there was a time where we could almost do a full functional 11 of players that lacked a goalie and then they signed ted sharman low to fulfill the goalie and now they can't quite do a full functional 11. You've got Ted Sharman, Lowe, Harrison, Murray Campbell, Isha Samuel Smith, Sam Braxaki, Reese Russell, Denny, and Zane Silcott Dubry as your main guys within the academy. I'm not counting David Dattrell for Fana in that. There's a couple of boys in the 15s and 16s who won that tournament up in Loughborough Joseph Wheeler Henry, Ryan Kavuma McQueen, and Yahia Idrisi Regregi. Although he was sometimes just bugger Idrisi. We'll see what he comes through as. It was like Silcott Dubry for a long time. He was just Zane Silcott. And then the official announcement is still called Dubry. Um Yeah, it's, it's as simple as that. We've got six, nine if you include the 16s. It'd be nice to have a, a, a full 11 again at one at some point. Right. And you, lost- can, you can throw in Levi Samuels Colwell as well if you want to, because that's 
at one point it was that I don't know whether it goes like that now. Dominic Solanke Mitchell was another one that was the official name, even though if they don't go by it on a day to day basis. Right. Because obviously players can choose pretty much what goes on their back. Um, yep. Lost Ruben Loftus Cheek, Callum Hudson Adoy. Those are the two big ones. Yeah, we've lost a few. This is why we can't do an 11. But here's, here's the real one Reading have two players with triple barreled surnames. That's the challenge for Chelsea to get into. <laughs> Is it that Jake, poor Jacob, Jacob Borgness Hammond Chambers and Kyan Coke Miles Smith? That poor kit man. I mean, <laughs> thank gosh they're not putting names on the back at that level, are they? Uh, no, but I suspect they'll only pick one of them if they do get to the top level. Hey, you can have two out of the three. Like, what a wild thing to say, right? At that level, but otherwise it would just be circling all the way around the back. Exactly. We've seen some pretty goofy long ones in the in the. In the past, at least I know I have. But uh, Phil, really appreciate the mailbag, taking questions out there. As you can tell, there's a lot of people really interested in the Academy. Uh, really shines a new spotlight on some things. So Phil and I are talking about this. Uh, we're going to start to put out a, a request for questions for our twice-monthly Cobham Crew updates as well because we want to continue to not just talk about what we have going on, but we also want to hear what you have so we can address those as well. So if you have a question, you can either send it to either Phil or I right away, uh, or you can wait. We'll put out a call for questions uh, on Phil's account and retweet from the pod account so we can keep you involved because we love doing this, don't we, Phil? We do. This was fun. Let's do it again. Awesome. Well, hey, as always, more content coming at you. It's Arsenal at the weekend, so that means CFC Central Sam and Dan are going to be doing the preview pod for Friday. Hope you have a great Thursday when you listen to this. Um, more content per usual. Go subscribe on YouTube. We would appreciate that. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts Spotify. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.